Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast where we look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew, I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Goggill of Aleph Insights and this week we're discussing Crafts Gate or Alsatian Gate um, which is referring to the fact that recently at Crafts best of breed winner for Alsatians was, uh, I don't know if I can pronounce this, Kruiger or Kruiger Kataria, which was um, an Alsatian dog, which caused an uproar amongst the media because it had a massively sloping back uh, because of um, potentially excessive inbreeding. Okay, so Craftgate, Alsatian Gate, who's going to start us off, Peter or Nick? Let's go. So uh, the the domestication uh, of of animals uh, and the selective breeding of animals is a very interesting um, so, uh, study in, in in sort of human history. Um, the, uh, if we if we if you think of uh, domesticated animals as technologies, we referred to social technology before, but there's there's specific technologies which humans have developed to answer certain needs. So we eat some animals and we use other animals for other things. Now dogs. Uh, I think were domesticated. I think around fifteen thousand BC. Uh, the cats were started to be domesticated in Neolithic periods around uh, ten thousand BC. So um, they, they're old technologies. We've had them for a very long time. Um, now uh, there's a, there's a debate as to whether or not the phenotypes of dogs and cats are have greater variation. Um, but I think the the dogs that they have different uses and maybe maybe dogs are more varied because dogs are just generally more useful animals they can they can they can provide diff- more different functions because they're pack animals they behave differently as a sort of social crowd whereas cats are solitary and uh, tend to look after themselves um so the fact that they've been around longer and they have more uses potentially means that they have more different types of breeds um it's a, and I think it's a recent uh, evolution that they've become, they've they've stopped being useful technologies and now they're bred and um, uh, the, the the phenotypes are exaggerated for purely aesthetic reasons. So it's interesting. I've never heard of a dog referred to as as being a technology before, but I like that. That's good. Um, but um, so and is this is it sounds like that this is um, a fairly widespread accepted view. The, the reason why dogs look so different to one another, why there's so much variation within the species as compared to, say, cats, um, is, is what you've just said, is because they've been bred for different um, uses, and that's why. Is, is that pretty much... I every, think so, everyone kind yeah. of agrees with that, right? I, that, I, I yeah? think that's fairly well accepted. Yeah, I mean, cats, uh, cats are uh, useful for catching vermin and keeping vermin away from, from your, your food stores um, and not much else. Uh, whereas dogs can do lots of other jobs. They can go. You can ferreting. They they can fetch. They can um, they can guard against wolves. Um, uh, and it's but it's recent that the, the, the technology has shifted to provide providing sort of comfort and uh, another part of the family set. Um, and the aesthetics pursuit of making dogs uh, look a certain way because that it looks good. Sure, I've got a quick. I mean, I have probably worth saying that none of us are remotely experts on canine or feline genetics You're here. Not, no. But I, I just, Peter, is it is it the case that if we really wanted to make a cat that had you know really long legs or you know huge teeth or something, that could we do that? Could we breed? cats to be as different as dogs you know the difference between a chihuahua and a great dane could we get that in cat form if we if we tried 
I believe so. I mean, because domestic cats were bred from wild cats, which were bigger. Um, they had bigger teeth. They had bigger claws. You know, they were they were wild animals. Um, that that uh, they, they they weren't the, the lions. They weren't bred from lions, but they bred from smaller wild cats. Mm. So, uh, and I suspect. I mean, I, I'm not a geneticist, but I suspect that those the the the, the genes which gave them these those older properties of big teeth and big claws probably still exist. And they could be accentuated back out of the species. So we could turn a cat back into a lion if we, <laughs> if we wanted. <laughs> Within a couple of years. Just with a chainsaw and a bit of blue tack. I um I the the interesting thing uh for me about is sort of the question of how we know that it's a dog. How do we know that a Chihuahua is a dog and a Great Dane is a dog? Um they're very different, right? So and of course the answer is this is that they're both uh the same species, which means they can they can mate. They can apparently um chihuahuas can mate with great danes i mean i think i think with some difficulty but they can in theory get you know get get pregnant from each other um and that the the so we we kind of think it's there's actually it's quite interesting the way that species uh which we think of as a a single quite definitive thing um are apparently not always uh, very clearly defined. Um, there, there's an example in uh, one of Richard Dawkins' books, the the ancestors' tale of uh, the Encetina newt in, uh, or it's a salamander rather in in California, where which is what's called apparently a ring species, um, where it, 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 there there are different types of salamanders living all around this the 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 edge of this valley, and each salamander can kind of mate with the ones slightly to the north and slightly to the south of it. Um, but when you get to the ends of the valley, you have salamanders that can't mate with each other. So that, that's called a ring species. And it seems that, you know, actually uh, being, being a species is sometimes fuzzy, not always, uh, not always clearly defined. Um, but the, the, the whole question of, you know, how we, how we decide that actually what makes you a dog is, is because you can mate with other dogs. It reminds me of the way that scientific concepts change over time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, so in, bio, in the biological sphere, one example was, you know, the decision that whales weren't fish. Um, now, why, why, did, why did our division go that way? Why did we sort of say, actually, it makes more sense um, to have the concept of a fish that excludes whales? Because whales, you know, biologically, are obviously, clearly mammals. Um, you know, they're much more like a whale is much more like a horse than it is like a fish. And and so you know we it, it sort of makes sense for us to change our concept of fish from something which is about swimming in the sea to something else which is to do with you know your um, your biological uh, lineage um, and and your you know features the the biological features that you have um, and and then of course that has gradually given way to to something to a definition in terms of genetics so what makes you a um, a, a, a mammal is is actually because you're descended from other mammals but broadly um and uh, you know even if a whale were to evolve into a fish uh, it would if if a whale were to evolve the exact characteristics of a fish we would still want to say it was a mammal and not a fish which um you know is is interesting the way that the way that our concepts get changed and get more precisely defined over over time i mean are we essentially here we're just talking about taxonomy right and I mean, is again? Is this? I mean, sometimes we sort of drift into areas in which we're not experts. All but, all areas we cover. Got no expertise on anything. I, I mean, are we saying? I mean, yeah. is there anything? I, what I'm trying to think about is that I'm sure 
you know, this might be a well-trodden um, area of exploration for taxonomists, let's say, okay? Um, is there anything we can add to that, given that we're thinking about analysis and decision-making? Yeah, so I to think draw from uh, this. Very, very much so. so let's, think... Well, definitely from Nick, but Peter, is there anything right, okay. you want to sort of bring in here? Well, I think the, the I think there's an interesting, the, these taxonomies and these classification systems are um, largely arbitrary. Um, they're, they're, they're things that we have uh, imposed uh, on, on these populations to make them more legible, make them more easy to understand uh, and, and as a sort of framework for, for study. Um, if 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 those those species which um, were outcompeted still existed, then there would be a sort of grey um, scale of between all species, um, and the, the 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 concept of separating species out into type groups would make less sense. And there's parallels with the way much much analysis is about clustering and classification um, as a to provide a a, a, a basis for for considering the the likelihood of certain things happening or the the class that things belong to uh and to effective taxonomy design is, is is crucial in in that so um uh, anal- analysts i think um are often uh are required to be uh taxonomists and and design these information structures um and I think that's a, that's a, that's a that's a science. That's a skill that's a, that, that can be developed um, deliberately. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, there's, Nick, is there anything you want to add at this? I mean, I've got a question, but is there anything you want to add at this stage? Well, no, actually, I mean, I think this touches on a really fundamental distinction between types of debate, um, which is something that was clearly identified by logical positivists, uh, the sort of philosophical movement in the. Uh, early part of the 20th century, um, which is this distinction between uh, arguments about definition and arguments about fact, arguments about what's true about the world compared to um, arguments about, you know, whether we're uh, exactly how we should define things. I mean, you look at the reclassification of Pluto, for example. Mm. Um, You know, we decided that it wasn't really a planet. It was a a, a dwarf planet or something. You know, it doesn't belong uh, in the planet club with with all of the familiar ones like Mars and Jupiter. what, we didn't discover something new about Pluto. So what was that debate all about? I mean, you know, it was really about a discussion about what the most sensible definition of planet was. Um, you know, and, and, and we came up with a definition, you know, to distinguish planets from, you know, from moons or, you know, which, which, which happens to exclude Pluto. Um, but nothing, our understanding of the world didn't change. Um, uh, but our, our Well, no, our, our, und- our understanding of the world did change, but the world itself didn't change. Well, I... I mean, that, there's, that, that's the issue, really. If we were having an argument, mm. uh, it's a very different type of argument if I say, no, no, Pluto is actually much smaller than mm. we thought. Mm. It turns out it's only half the size as we previously thought, yeah. therefore it's not a planet, than the type of argument which says, well, I think we should have a de- definition of planet, which is, you know, that they're of a sufficient size, that they're spherical, uh, you know, to within a certain tolerance, and that happens to exclude Pluto. Yeah. Um, completely different. And, and the logical positivists... Uh, sought to separate those two types of debate and it's an incredibly useful distinction to have to hand when you're thinking about problems is, is to say look actually am I is this a question about how we define this or is this a question about the the facts so I'm not sure how we managed to do it but we've gone from um, Alsatians with with curiously sloping backs all the way to the definitions of planets and Pluto and so on but um, yeah is there any way we can sort of wrap this up and sort of tie this all together with um, 
Yeah, I mean, what I mean, what does that mean? So, can you sum it up in one sentence for me? From how we get this sort of this furore over this Alsatian with the sloping back and incredibly deformed, and what that means for um, analysis and decision making. Can you can you sum that up for me in a sentence or two? That's <laughs> uh, no, I don't. I, I can't say I can't say any more than what we've already said. I think okay. the uh, but I but but no, I mean I think it does. It does come down to it's the same question really. You know, it's sort of why. Why do we allow this this dog to be a contender to, for this prize? Or you know, yeah. should this dog somehow be excluded? Um, you know, should should we not allow uh, dogs that look like that? Uh, actually, then is a similar kind of debate to, to the one about should Pluto be a dwarf planet? You know, are there characteristics of dogs which should mean that they're not allowed to win prizes because of their you know because their backs are too slopey? I, I see it in a different um, way. I see it um, in terms of mission creep. That's how I see this. It makes me think of my mother's spaghetti bolognese. So when I was about fifteen in nineteen eighty eight, my mother suddenly discovered spaghetti bolognese, um, or specifically she discovered dolmio. Okay, and she thought, okay, well, this is great. So this will, you know, keep my hungry fifteen. We, we should say that other pasta sauces are available. <laughs> and and but what happened was over a six month period is just is just that the dish morphed into something else. So um, for a start, it's used to sort of treble treble in size. Um, and then things like she would put in, start putting in peppers until peppers became the norm. Or and actually, I don't think even my mother was that adventurous. But somehow it just changed and sort of became a very condensed version of itself, and that was the new norm. And that, when I look at this, you know, I'm different from you guys. What I see from this, I just see, okay, that's something that has become more and more, you know, that gets so accentuated that that's what becomes normal. That's the lesson I take from this. And actually, when everyone stands back and there's a as an emperor's new clothes moment, where everyone goes. That's not an Alsatian. Alsatians don't look like that. And yet it wins best of breed. That's what I take from this. Um, but we're not talking about what I take from this. We're talking about... So, so Peter, anything you want to add there? Um, well, other than... I think the, the there are interesting uh, neurological and psychological processes that make humans very good at classifying stuff. It, it seems to be... Um, if not fundamental to the way that we understand the world, a very useful way that we go about understanding the world, where we're very quickly on very sparse data able to sort of say, oh, that's a person, that's a, that's a cup, that's a table, um, which then provides us uh, with uh, a way of accessing models for how per people, cups and tables behave, and therefore we can predict with fairly good certainty, you know, if I put that cup on that table, it's probably not going to go anywhere because that table look, shares properties with other tables I've seen before. I can just rely on the fact it's a table. Yeah. So, and I, I think it's, it's a sort of, uh, that's a evolutionary process gone on and developed this sort of classification mechanism in our, in our brains, which provides a useful shortcut. It means that we don't have to see every single table, every single cup as unique uh, individual items and have to uh, model how they will behave in interaction. We, we, we can say, well, that's a table, that's a cup. They, sure. they will behave this way when we put them together. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I want to finish there, Nick. Anything you want to add, Nick? Well, yeah, I mean, I think actually that it is so fundamental, classification is so fundamental to the way that we think um, that it's probably worth mentioning because if otherwise philosophers will be shouting at the, uh, at the podcast at this point that um, the response to that logical positivist distinction between uh, definition and, and matters of fact um, was made uh, by uh, Willard Van Orman Quine, um, you know, a good few decades later, where he said, actually, sometimes 
it's hard to tell tell whether you're talking about a matter of definition or a matter of fact. That that, that actually is is a grey. There is a grey area. You know, the the often with a debate, you're sometimes not sure because because though categorising things, definitions are so fundamental to the way we think. Sometimes it is hard to separate. Well, are we talking about a, a category or are we talking about some some fact about the thing? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a really uh, you know it's a very profound topic really when we when we think about how how analysis works how, mm-hmm. how thinking works okay so there we go from alsatian gate to um the profundities of logical positivism uh, we'll wrap it up there thank you uh, once again to all our listeners um to listening to the cognitive engineering podcast i'm fraser mcgrew we've been here with nick Hare and with peter coggill at aleph insights thank you for listening don't forget to check out what we've got on the blog okay thank you and goodbye Pluto was a dog as well, of course. Yeah, we should have mentioned that. You should, why didn't you say that? We've got it. We've got yeah. it. We've got well, it. is he, though? I mean, is Pluto the one that walks around? No, that's Goofy. Uh, no, the, well, the one that, the one that walks... Pluto is Mickey's dog. He's very dog Who was the one? Goofy. Goofy. Goofy's the actual... It's a Goofy. <laughs> and that's where you've got Pluto, who's the dog, who's a human, or who walks around like a human. No, that's Goofy. No, Goofy... Goofy. So Pluto is the dog, isn't it? Oh, okay. And he's very dog-like. He doesn't speak. He and he, he looks like a dog. He behaves like a dog. Whereas um, Goofy, well, he's Goofy a dog. I don't know what well, is Goofy. He's a dog-like. Yeah, yeah. Goofy challenges our concept of doghood. I think in a way that's quite profound.